This is the Fatty Joe Show, coming to you from Casa de Carey, deep in the forests of Nutmegerville. This show is dedicated to exploring pathways to better health from a holistic perspective. In each episode, we will explore such topics as nutrition, mental and emotional health, fitness, and more. I'm Yogi, your host, and I became interested in studying health after conventional health dogma became damaging and led me to become massively overweight. Against modern convention, I went on a keto lifestyle and I lost over 300 pounds and gained a level of control on my personal health that I never had before. Now I'm on a journey to find out what is myth and what is truth in the ever convoluted world of what is considered healthy. Come join me on a journey of discovery as I look for a path to improve total health. If you'd like to support the show, head over to patreon.com slash the fatty joe show or patreon.com slash carrie brown. If you want to check out all of our social media links and recipes, head to carriebrown.com. Don't forget to leave a comment, like, and subscribe to the show. Hey everybody, thank you so much for joining us on the Fatty Joe Show featuring return guest Jessica Reynolds. If you missed it, be sure to go back and check the previous episode because that's where Jessica and I started our conversation. There's a lot of great information about mental health and diet, B vitamins and fat that you really want to check out and uh, it'll help you understand what's going on in this episode as well. All right, everybody, enjoy the show. And we get a lot of our bioavailable B vitamins through foods that are rich in especially animal fats and things like that, because you need fats to absorb the B vitamins. Also, the fat is part of the primary structure of the brain. For many of us, and, and I'm sure Carrie's gone through it. I'm sure you've gone through it. I've gone through it. What are we always told to do to control our weight? Low, Low fat. fat. Yeah. So couldn't that then exasperate the Absolutely. symptoms of what you're dealing with? I say that I have said that um, um, to people at times that my brain was fat starved. Yes, I have all these issues, but I can remember years at a time eating under 20 grams of fat a day. That's what we were told to do. And now understanding how my brain thrives on fat and ketones. <laughs> like, no wonder, no wonder, even if some of these things were, I believe some are hereditary because I have traced down and there's relatives that have different things. Uh, my dad has OCD. I mean, I wasn't doing anything to help it with my diet. I really wasn't. I, my brain was fat starved. And that's really where the ketogenic lifestyle made a difference for me. I did not expect any of these changes. Um, I started it. I changed my diet because my health was so terrible. My blood pressure was through the roof and I just knew I had to do something. I did not expect it. The, I, I didn't expect any of the changes that happened with my mental health. But when it started happening, I wanted to know why. And that sent me down the rabbit hole of reading everything, listening to everything I could get my hands on. I'm like, I wanted to know what was happening to me. Why am I getting better? Why am I thinking clearly? I've never felt this way in my life. And I do believe it's the fact. Even if something is genetic, 
genes may or may not express based That's on right. environmental and dietary factors. Uh, Danny Vega has an MTHFR gene mutation, just like Carrie does, but his right. doesn't express the way that Carrie's. Right. So our nutrition can actually manipulate how the genes function in the body. Even if you're a carrier, even if you function, even if one's not functioning or one's functioning right. that's not supposed to function. So changing your diet seems to be a key component to managing a lot of these issues when it comes to around mental illness. I believe it with my soul <laughs> that that is the case. I think you can't do cognitive behavioral therapy for your eating disorder or for any other destructive pattern or belief or behavior until you can think clearly enough to work through it. And with everybody I work with, I recommend they start off getting rid of sugar and bad oils and grains because those things keep you from thinking clearly. Uh, you take those out and you add good, healthy fat, you're suddenly then able to work through things you never could think clearly on before. I think that's part of the reason I got well. I mean, I had therapists from teenage till up until two years ago, and some of them had some good things to say. Some of them didn't know anything. <laughs> some people you learn what not to do from. Um, and again, in and out of hospitals, there are some nuggets of good things in those hospitals. There was other things that, again, it teaches you what not to do. But none of it ever stuck. I could listen to it with my, my mind and say, well, yeah, that sounds like a good theory. But there was no applying it to me or to my circumstances. And if, again, if you're one of those people that you're like, I've tried everything and I just can't make it work for me, start with nutrition. And in just a little bit, and nutrition meaning adding healthy fat, take out the funky oils, take out the man-made seed oils, and add in healthy fats and get, get rid of the bread and grains and sugar, and you will be able to think differently about your issues. It's really, really interesting the way that works. Um, and I would say, well, it was just me, and that's a fluke, but it's not. I mean, over the last five years, I have talked to and worked with hundreds of people, and many of them are doing great today. You know, people who are willing to make that change in their diet and also work through the issues, they can get well and stay well without the need for other things. It's the truth. You know, I know sometimes it's hard to believe. I don't think I would have believed it if I was listening to this and I was me just knowing because I thought, oh my gosh, I know I'm, my brain is, is destroyed. It can't work for me, but I believe it can work for anyone because yeah, I definitely was, I don't, if there's a word lower than hopeless, then I was that. So let's, let's talk about your medications for a minute. Cause I'm going to go somewhere with this, but it's, it's going to be a, a bit leading. Let's talk about side effects and how hard it was to want to stay on these medications with side effects that were involved. Right. Well, all the medications had side effects, of course. I would say that especially the um, the anti-anxiety anti meds that I was on, there were so many and it was so powerful that it did keep me from being anxious, but it made me feel nothing. I literally felt I couldn't feel joy. I just felt nothing. I mean, they were keeping me stable to some extent, but they were doing that by extinguishing all that was me. I was not expressive. I couldn't carry on a conversation. I didn't care about anything. And in a way, it was just as bad because I was just existing. Before I had highs and lows, I just had nothingness on all these meds. I mean, in that way they worked, but I was still miserable and I was binge eating more than ever to try to feel something. It, it just, it didn't do it for me. All of them had side effects. 
Um, I took, I, I didn't mention the physical health issues that I had, but I had bladder disease, interstitial cystitis, um, chronic migraine that I had to give myself shots for several times a week, chronic kidney stones, cysts on my ovaries. I had a lot of really bad health problems too and had to be on meds for those also. Um, and those things have resolved, uh, which is really amazing too. But I want to tie this together. Some of those things I think might be side effects from some of the meds, um, the chronic migraine, maybe even the interstitial cystitis, because that's something they told me, you cannot cure this. There's nothing you can do. You will always be on two meds a day for that. And I don't take them at all. And I don't have flare ups So I don't know if it was a medication that was causing that or if just changing nutrition fixed that. But in any case, I don't have to take meds for this thing that's incurable. I wanted to tie it together with this whole theme of women's health. And that is I waited until each one of those conditions was unbearable and was killing me or was so painful that it was unbearable before I ever got treated. And they were much worse because of that. Um, I didn't go in the hospital or I didn't go to the doctor because I knew they would just say, well, you're overweight and you have bipolar and depression. And, and they would overlook anything else that was wrong. I had experienced that. And I just said, I'm not going to the doctor. So a lot of women don't take care of their physical body because of the mental health issues that they have. And I would always wait until it was an emergency. Something had burst or the pain was unbearable or the condition had worsened to the point that it wasn't an easy fix before it had to be emergency to make me go to the doctor. And I think a lot of people... They're like, well, once I lose weight and a doctor's not going to judge me because I'm overweight or the minute I tell them that I'm bipolar, they stop taking me seriously and they stop looking for what's actually causing pain. They just think it's a thing. You need to go anyway and insist on being taken care of. Don't wait until you think you're better to get those things taken care of because I do believe the mental health issues, those meds made some of these things worse. And then I did not treat, I didn't seek help or treatment for them either. So physical health becomes another issue on top of it, potentially caused by the medication or certainly related to it in some ways. This seems to be one of the key factors in why a lot of people end up going off their meds and end up worse off. Because when they go off their meds too, it seems like the conditions that the meds were supposed to deal with actually get amplified off yes. the med uh, because the brain chemistry is permanently changed. So there's, there's almost like a slingshot. But I've heard many of the kids in my group home who would cheek their meds or throw their meds away or, or even uh, you know regurgitate their meds to get them out of their system because they felt like they couldn't be themselves. They felt right. numbed. So these are some massive side effects that seems to be making the protocol around the medication side, not very sustainable for the patient. Yeah, I know I would get to the point where I'm like, you know what, I would rather feel pain. I would rather feel crazy. I think I would say that back in the day, I would say, you know what, I would feel crazy. I would rather feel crazy than nothing at all. And I would just dump them all. Again, not recommended because you have all kinds of bad things that happen. Brain shock, really crazy things that happen when you suddenly get off meds. I do not ever, ever recommend that. But I would do it from time to time, just ditch everything because I just got sick of not feeling anything. Um, there were times I actually even cut myself so I could try to feel. Um, and I know there's people that deal with um, cutting and things like that, and they can't understand why someone does that. But you just want to feel. And it's just, again, that's probably because of the meds. I don't think I would have cut without, I, could, I was numb. 
Now let's talk about the side effects of eating a high-fat keto diet. Okay, my favorite subject. Thank you for asking. Well, I'm off on my meds. Um, I can't say it cured bipolar. I don't want to say that. I think it treats my bipolar. I think it's still there. There are definitely times I feel a little lower or a little higher, but it's pretty even. And I think that's because my body has a continuous fuel source. It burns the fat that I eat and it continuously converts easily to ketones. And then it burns the fat from my body. And even if I'm not eating, there's a fat source available. And so it's not, I don't have these ups and downs of carbs or from meds. It's just pretty even. Um, The other thing is, I think because my brain is working so clearly, if I am feeling a symptom coming on of mania, for me, my vision gets a little sharper. Things seem a little bit brighter. That's the first sign that it's coming. I know it right then. I know it's important for me to tell someone that I trust, like, hey, just FYI, my vision's changing. (laughs) If I get up in the middle of the night, I might order a lot of things on Amazon because that would be a thing that I would do. I would just get up and, and then boxes would come out. I remember ordering them. Those are some of the like manic behaviors or or drinking a lot till you can't even remember what's going on. Just like you just don't care. It seems like nothing matters when you're manic. But so yeah, I don't have those extreme highs, extreme lows anymore. It's there. I would say it's I'm in recovery just like I'm in recovery from my eating disorder. Um, it's been over five years and I haven't binged and purged. Um, I don't eat foods that harm my body ever. I like to say I've been sober over five years, which is amazing and a miracle. Again, I'm usually focused on that part of the story, but I also don't have these massive swings. And when a high comes or a low comes, I know enough to know that it's temporary. And it's not a a low that drops me. (laughs) It's just a lull. And I know this is temporary. And honestly, I can go and add some more fat, some real good MCT oil, and it can pick me up because it converts so easily to ketones, my brain picks up. I can think my way through it. It's really amazing. Oh, no, I'm t- these are, the side effects are, yeah. <laughs> the side effects are I don't blow through our bank account. Did I mention I lost, I don't think I did, I lost 146 pounds also. <laughs> That's one of the side effects. So other side effects of keto, I'm happy, my skin looks great. People say I look 15 years younger. What other side effects? I'm not on pills for anxiety and depression. Before I wouldn't leave the house and now I've gone and talked to hundreds and hundreds of people on a stage. (laughs) Um, The things I've done now that I thought I would never do when I thought my life was over and I was done contributing, it's more than I ever could have imagined. Uh, And I like to say I am well, I am healed, but it's very important to to stay humble because I stay healed and well because I I keep doing the thing that keeps me well. If I were to stop doing it, those conditions would return. I have no doubt in my mind. So from the sounds of this, it seems like it's much easier to stay on the dietary protocol than it is the chemical protocol. Yeah. And not to mention, I mean, I eat really good food. I mean, it's not... It's not um, starvation. It's not restricted in calories. Um, I eat amazing, delicious food, and I enjoy it every single time because I eat when I'm really hungry. I don't eat for my feelings. I eat when I really have a need for food, and it tastes better than it's ever tasted every single time. Yeah, it's a lot easier to do this than take a bunch of meds and not feel. 
So it's pretty crazy then if this is a much more sustainable method and everybody always says, well, keto is not sustainable, but yet the meds seem to be less sustainable and yet the medical community won't go the dietary route that and use that as a primary intervention rather than they jump straight to the chemical intervention. Right. And I think there's a lot of different reasons for that. The worst one probably is monetary reasons. Drugs are money. And there, you know, you can go, we could do a whole show just on that. Uh, and that's unfortunate. Um, I think the other thing is doctors stay very busy. I mean, there are some doctors that are very good people. They don't want to harm their patients, but they really never were taught nutrition. Most doctors don't know about nutrition. They just aren't taught it. Um, so they, you know, they hand you a diet for 1200 calories. If you say you're struggling with food and say, here you go. And it's the, it's the food pyramid. And, you know, eat a loaf of bread every day and avoid fat and eat some vegetables. And so they don't know. And they stay so busy. People come in, they listen to symptoms, they go through the Rolodex in their mind, and they pull out a prescription card, they hand it to them, and they see the next person. There's very little work on root cause. It's only on treating the immediate symptoms. And that's how I think I wound up on so many different meds. I didn't, I wasn't one of those people that did like, doctor shopping to get more meds, I just kept having more added. I would go in, I would be like, my anxiety is terrible. And instead of taking me off something, they would add something else to bring my anxiety down. And then I would be in depression and they'd be like, well, okay. They'd give me something else that would pull my anxiety up. They would just leave me on everything and add something else. Um, And that's how I came to be that way. But I think it's not they mean to cause harm. It's that the pharmaceutical industry has one thing in mind, and that is money. Doctors, most of them are just trying to get through as many people as they can. They don't understand nutrition and they buy what the pharma people are selling them. Yeah. And it's as much as I am a capitalist, I do see the the harm in having a medical system that runs solely on a capitalistic approach because it's going to be more about profits than patients. That is where I believe we are running into a lot of issues. Well, conflicts uh, of interest is what, what the issue is, I think. Mm-hmm. Where the profits will so supersede. And, and I don't think there's, a, you know, there's necessarily amongst the doctors, you know, that they don't care about their patients, they're only right. their profits. But I, I think this is, it goes more to the political side of things and more toward the corporate side of things mm-hmm. where they're, they have to answer to shareholders That's and things right. like that. So much like like Ford put a um, a price on human life that they didn't want to repair their Ford Pinto right. to make it not explode. The medical industry kind of does the same thing. Is yeah. this person valuable enough to give them the right kind of treatment to things right. or do it, it, it to an extent, often insurance companies do the same thing. Yeah. Is this person's life valuable enough to give them the right kind of treatment? In that way, our capitalism removes empathy and it humanity also, from... It, I'm going to say this right now. It's playing God. I get to decide who lives and dies. I also want to say this, there's not one person that's more valuable than another. We are all worthy of living and no one else should get to decide that. So that's so unfortunate. It's so tough to think about things like that, but unfortunately it is reality. 
and, and in a way, a lot of these uh, corporations are playing judge, jury, and executioner when they evaluate what the value of a human life is and who's more valuable than another and who gets the right treatment and who doesn't. There's a lot of doctors right now that are actually, I believe, some therapists that are moving to this market of doing um, more of a concierge medicine approach so that they they can get away from a lot of the corporate interests right. and do what they need to do to help their patient. It is a problem. And and again, I'm, I'm for people making their money for making their profits, right. but sometimes we have to look at how it is affecting and is there a better way to go? Yeah. I don't want to make money and lose my soul. I mean, that's the right. bottom line. There's, you have to have your interest at the end of the day has to be in life and people and love and living. Um, when money supersedes all that, I think you're in trouble and you will compromise in ways you never thought you would. So yeah, try not to be too attached to money. I live a completely debt-free life. We've never talked about that, but like my house is paid off and I drive paid off car and I and I live that way because I don't want to be a slave to money. I want to be able to do the work that I feel called to do without having to pay a mortgage and live somewhere fancy. And I've done all that before and it did not bring me happiness. What brings me happiness is doing the work that I believe that I'm called to do. And I'm able to do that because I have decided to live a life that is not all that glamorous. Well, money can be a great resource when it comes to the freedom of choice or what you can do. But, you know, obviously by the amount of people who are very wealthy, who have mental and emotional issues that can lead to suicide and things Mm -hmm. like that, it obviously isn't the answer to everything. Right. One of the things I wanted to talk about, and it's it's just something that kind of crossed my mind through our conversation, and you you deal with both men and women when it comes to um, addressing the eating disorders and the emotional trauma. Have you noticed any kind of difference in the approach of how the therapy and the psychomedical community approaches treatment toward women versus how they approach treatment toward men? I would say... Just thinking about my clients, the male clients that I have do tend to be on antidepressants. They are on lower doses, and it took many more years for them to start anything. And I don't know if that's because they didn't open up or because the doctor heard their depression but didn't do anything about it. They're like, I I didn't acknowledge it. I'm not sure. Um, Women, a lot of times that I talk to have been on antidepressants for decades. And like I was, I started when I was a teenager and was on them for decades straight, other than the few times that I went crazy and flushed them and went, (laughs) had to get back on them. But um, we tend to have been on long-term meds versus men that I I work with, even if they're in their 60s, you know, maybe they're on something now, but they haven't been. And I'm not sure why that is, but it could have something to do with the likelihood of a doctor prescribing something for mental health to a man versus a woman. And the reason why I asked this question, because I was just thinking about popular culture. And I grew up during the, the 80s. And one of the things I started running over in my head is it seemed like whenever you were watching a, a movie or a TV show and it involved somebody taking uh, medication for mental health, it was always a woman. It, it was a woman telling them, like, yeah, I take I take the lithium. I take the, you know, this or that. And you rarely hear about the men in the videos or in the movies that are actually taking this kind of drug. And if they are, it's usually because they're hospital. You know what else is interesting now that you say this, and it goes back to what we were talking about before. We're the only country where 
pharmaceutical ads are played on TV to the consumer. They're not marketed to the doctor. In those ads that you see talking about depression, who are the main characters? Women. Yeah, yeah. So it's still that way. First of all, it's such a shame that they're marketing directly to a consumer and painting this picture of your cloud's going to be lifted off your head and you're going to feel good and happy and you're going to be able to play with your kids again if you take this drug. Um, but they are and the birds. Exactly, that's exactly what it is. And then you listen in the background to the side effects that they're, they're reading by really, 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 really fast. And you're like, oh my god! Even if it did do that, it wouldn't be worth the risk of these things. But you're right. They the the main character there is are women for the most part. Well, they often they often take these Snow White images, you know, from like the Disney Snow White movie where she's out singing right. and the birds come and the flowers right. bloom and the deers come by and you watch some of the commercials especially the animated ones and what do you see the deers come the rabbits come the flowers bloom the birds come and they're like playing onto like this snow white mythos uh that disney created to promote their drug it, it does seem to be that they play a a the sex card quite a bit when they mm-hmm. do advertise these things because i occasionally I will see a man on one of these commercials, but it's usually an occasional man interspersed amongst all the women on the commercial. Yeah, I can't even, I was I was just racking my brain trying to think of one antidepressant or bipolar commercial where it was focused on a man. Like I, I literally can't think of one, which is crazy. But hey, they're smart. They know their audience. They know who takes their stuff. Mm-hmm. They know. And, and it's ugly, but it's true. That's what they're doing. They're, you know, marketing to their audience. I, I think currently in our society that this is a very bad double-edged sword on both sides. The fact yeah. that we have we have the overly initiative to, to jump on the mental health side and, and you're crazy because you're a woman, you know? And so you need these drugs and you're a woman versus, you know, the man that you're just a dude. Don't worry about it. Shove your feelings down and get on, get out back to work and put some mud on it and shake it off and get out there, you know? And I think it does a disservice to both sides because I, I I do believe that a lot of times women are overly diagnosed versus men who are underdiagnosed and you're hurting both populations. Right. You know, I'm just sitting here thinking about my husband. People ask about him sometimes. And yes, I've been married for 25 years, which is amazing because when you hear my story, you're like, there is a man that stayed with you through all that. And the answer is yes, there is. As you can imagine, he struggled with many things being with me through that. There was also a period of time where I was working and he was home and he was terribly depressed. And in all that time, he never, it never crossed his mind to go to a therapist or get meds. Keto helped him too. He, he lost um, 70 pounds and he is happy and healthy and doesn't, you know, struggle with depression now, but he went through a lot of that and he never, ever sought treatment for depression or any of that. And it's, it, I, I guess I hadn't really thought about that. The medication part or the the help, you know, the treatment, it was always, you know, Jessica's emergency. And yes, he is a saint. He deserves a shout out for staying with me through all that. But he did go through his own stuff, being married to me, dealing with all this craziness and wondering if he was going to come home and find me dead or something. 
I just want to acknowledge that too, that this isn't just my story, it's ours. Honestly, and it's something that I struggle with as well. I'm, I mean, I'm, I'm going to throw myself under the bus, but like, honestly, I'd probably never seek, you know, it currently with my mental state way it is, I'd probably never seek therapy for anything. And like, I'd, I'd probably, you know, so I'm, I'm there, I'm promoting it for other people, but right. it's equally as hard for me to go through because I've grown up with a certain type of masculine image my entire life. This is where, remember I earlier talked about the voice of sabotage? When we don't say things like you just said, um, it works hard on us and it uses fraud complex. And it says, hey, you're promoting this thing and you don't even do it yourself. Or who are you telling to take care of themselves and you don't take care of your own mental health and things like that? So as helpers, you and me and, and the others, we have to make sure that we feel really open to say things like that to each other. Like, hey, I, I'm not ready to say to the world I've got this issue, but I can talk to you about it. And at least start admitting that instead of feeling like I'm a fraud if I'm not exactly what, you know, if I don't do all the things or if I can't be all the things that people expect me to do and be. And that's a, it's a discouragement. And a lot of times that discouraging voice send us, sends us back to destructive behaviors because we feel like fraud. And it's really important for those of us that are called to be helpers to whatever, anything in your head that makes you feel that way, say it to someone who can hear it. What are what are some of the things that you see in popular society that you think may drive a lot of the um, issues when it comes to around for women dealing with mental health issues or, or approaching treatment and things like that? Um, I do think that nowadays women are expected to take on a lot. You know, there's the traditional roles where a woman was home and the man worked and the woman was responsible for the household. But I think a lot of women work and then we're still also responsible for the household. And I think most women I talk to feel like they have two jobs and the stress and the pressure that comes from that is a constant wear on them. They're deciding how do I spend my time as a parent, as a wife, as someone who runs the house and takes, you know, pays the bills or do I put my all into this work thing? And they really have a hard time navigating how to balance that. And I think one of the ways that I used to handle that was I fractured myself kind of. I would compartmentalize and I would make my work and travel life one thing and my home like this. And that fracture that happened in me, it actually made my sickness so much worse because when I was over here being the, you know, the awesome employee and the best person you ever hired in your life over here um, behind closed doors. I was failing over here and I felt like a fraud when I was here. And, and it really just like it fed into that split that I had. Like I'm not even one whole person. I am just fractured. And I think part of my healing has been bringing that all back together and saying, I am one person and I have these responsibilities and I can't, I can't do everything. I cannot be all things to all people. Women like to be all things to all people. It's how we feel valuable. I'm not speaking for every woman, woman, but I'm speaking for many of them. We feel valued by what we accomplish so many times. And when we're not accomplishing enough, we feel like failures. So I think that, that, um, that drive to be superwoman, um, it, whether it's you're driven by your driven by your own will to do that, or you're driven by comparison because you see what your neighbor's doing and you perceive that they have the perfect life and they're getting it all done, and you feel like you're the only one that's a wreck. That definitely adds. And I will tell you, the person you think has it all together does not have it all together. It's one reason I like to tell my stories. There are people who meet me and they're like, "Gosh, Jessica, you just seem happy all the time and you have it all together." I'm like, "Let me tell you a story." 
<laughs> Let me tell you about this up here. Let me tell you. It's important for us to share so we can normalize the struggles that we have. They always get worse when we keep them in darkness. All sickness gets worse when we hide it, when we keep it in darkness. When we shine a light on the dark stuff that we feel that we do, darkness flees. And I love that. I like to think that's what I do. I help people pry it open and shine a light on it so it flees and they don't have to keep dealing with it. Addiction and bad behaviors, a lot of these thrive in darkness and denial. Yes. Uh, your dietary interventions also play a huge role in your motherhood. As you, you talked about earlier, your, your daughter has epilepsy and you have dealt with some challenges of treating your daughter's epilepsy that can affect mental health and, and outlook by simply how people have reacted to you and their treatment on social media. Oh, yeah. And so, and it's something that you hinted at on the last episode. And I, I kind of want to talk about that a little bit because sure. a lot, oftentimes we don't consider how our behavior can affect other people and their mental health. We simply want to do what we want to do, but we're not looking at the consequences on others of our behavior. Yeah, I remember, um, and this has happened many times and not just to me. So I know I'm speaking for other moms um, who feed their children ketogenic diets in the keto community. I've seen it happen to them and it's happened to me multiple times. Posted a picture of Clara and it showed her tall and strong and seizure free. And I said, she's been keto for four years. And we just went to the doctor and she's this, she's higher, taller than she's supposed to be. She's the perfect weight. Her health is amazing. And and, and I wrote all this stuff and I put her before and after and I, and I showed her before a picture where she was sickly. Someone commented on that. I can't believe you feed this child this way. It's child abuse. We sort of, I rarely get into back and forth with people online because I don't like to do anything that steals my peace. Above all, I need peace in my life so I can help others be peaceful and have peace in my household. But when someone starts messing with my parenting or my children, that's different. But it, it went on and on and she's like really attacking things like you should be put in jail, your, your child's deprived, just give her the cookies. No kid should have to go through this. She's going to be in therapy. And then this person called in the whole bunch of their friends and they're all commenting on this post. And again, this has happened more than once. This was the more, most recent one. And um, I kind of drummed up some of my friends. <laughs> Danny's always awesome about jumping in because he will, he's like, I got your back. Maria actually commented too. And some other people, Jessica Ty, who has keto kids. It was good to feel supported because they've been through this too, but it's also terrible. The person who's attacking I can't understand why they take time out of their day to stop what they're doing, go to a post and attack somebody. I consider it a little bit a moment of weakness just because I even entertained it. But for, there was some part of me that's like, I've got to educate this person. Look, this was Clara before. She was sick. And now she doesn't have seizures. How is that anything but healing? That's not abuse. You know, I thought I could just break through to them and you can't. So I, I, I ultimately deleted it all and, and blocked. And I think most of the time that's how I handle it. But it's amazing how people don't even consider there's just such this um, cognitive dissonance when it comes to nutrition in children. I'm saying she's eaten this way for four years. Her health is perfect and she no longer has seizures. Where can you find flaw with that? She doesn't have any deficiencies. How is this abusive? I mean, it, it, it is. It's cognitive dissonance. And, and sometimes mm -hmm. posts like that make a person look at their own self and the way that they feed their children. And if they don't 
slam you, then they start to wonder about what they're doing. But instead, they focus their energy on the fact that you must be doing something wrong. Um, but it's tough. It happens a lot. When you put your story out there, people have lots of things, not always about Clara, sometimes just about myself and my own story. Um, people challenge things, but it, it is what it is. I put it out there because it's the truth. And I want other people to know they can feed their children this way and have thriving kids, you know? But yeah, there's a, there's a lot of insensitivity online for sure. Oh yeah. The, the trolling thing is, is honestly, it's a sign of mental illness in our, our society that, mm -hmm. that so many people need to spread negativity in order to be entertained or feel value mm -hmm. uh, or a, a sense of superiority. I remember when I was living in California that there was a school, it was a, I want to say it was a magnet school. They had gotten rid of all the vending machines throughout the school and they got rid of all the sugary treats and sodas and everything like that. And they had a, and it was voted on by the students who were taking nutrition classes that they wanted to do this. And they noticed that test scores went up, behavioral mm -hmm. issues went down and conditions like ADD mm -hmm. and things like that, that, that created a lot of behavioral issues reduced. Parents got a load of the fact that they got rid of all the treats in the school and were actually lobbying cookie baskets over the fence and protesting outside the school. And it seems to me that one of your first jobs as, as a parent is protect your child as much as possible. Part of that protection is making sure that you're not doing something in your child's life that's going to create later problems, such as diet leading to a conditions like uh, behavioral issues, diabetes, things like that. Right. Yeah. You know, um, I had the opportunity, Clara had a great teacher who I was able to sit down and talk to her on a field trip. And I just told her a little bit of my story and I told her about Clara and she invited me to come and talk about nutrition at her class. And I was so happy for that. Now she, she said, don't say the word keto. And I said, absolutely not. We'll talk about real foods and not in, in reducing sugar. And that's, and that's how I did it. But I went to the class and I explained to them where heart disease comes from and where diabetes comes from. And I drew pictures on the board in a way that they could understand it. Um, and the teacher said that was the first time she had truly understood it. Um, so it was such a great session. And a lot of these kids, some of the parents I know, some of them I don't know well, some of the moms were texting me, hey, my, my daughter doesn't want sugar anymore. And they were excited about that. There were other parents that actually complained to the school that their kid didn't want to eat Lunchables. They wanted them to make them something. And they were furious that I had planted the seed that sugar was a problem. And, and they were asking, you know, they would, they would show Clara their labels and say, you know, is this a lot of carbohydrates? And, you know, because she knows, Clara knows almost as much as I do about <laughs> food and nutrition uh, after five years of being around it. But um, yeah, there were parents that were furious that their kids were, were saying, no, I don't want you to send me a banana, you know, send me bacon or I don't want you to send me, you know, this, send me this. And um, it took away the ease. Literally, one of the parents said, my kid's getting Lunchables every day. I don't have time for more than that. And I understand, but I just, it, the backlash was unexpected. Um, while there was good feedback, there was some ugly stuff too. Wow. Well, you know, in, in our modern world too, 
as you said earlier, we want to have it all and we don't want to sacrifice anything. And that includes our time to do things uh, for ourselves or uh, the fact that we don't want to sacrifice the treats in our life in order to have a positive result. For a lot of people right now, too, you also have to look, they, they never took the time or had anybody to, to guide them to learn how to cook. Right. So now you're asking them to make food for their kids and they're like, I'll make you a peanut butter and jelly sandwich. I'll burn water if I leave it on to, right. you know, I lost my recipe for ice cubes a month ago. They ain't had no ice for a while. Yeah. So it, you know, when you're putting that, that shining the light where somebody might feel mm -hmm. like they're inadequate to something, yes. uh, instead of going, okay, how do we fix this problem? Often the first step is to lash out. And I really, I, I tried to come at it in a completely non-judgmental way. I used examples from my life and Clara's life and, I talked about swapping things out instead of strawberry fruit roll-ups, get strawberries, you know, like things like that. Uh, you know, if you're at Chick-fil-A, get, you know, grilled chicken instead of the, you know, the stuff fried in wheat. And there, you know, like I really tried to give those type of examples, but I think, I think the problem is that the message hit home. They understood that sugar and grains cause inflammation, which causes heart disease. They got it. That's the problem. The kids understood and they took it seriously. And the parent, there was, there was something lost in translation, I think. Well, it also might disrupt the parents' ability to have their Ben and Jerry's night, you know? Also, it, yes. Yeah. So like it, it could disrupt the parents' moments of pleasure and then they backlash off of that. This is something that happens with parents in general, but one of the stereotypes we often see is women have a tendency to attack each other quite a bit, and tear each other down when somebody's being successful and it's detrimental. And I mean, I, I, guys do it too, but guys do it in a different way. You know, yeah. it's, it, it's a, we have a different method. We'll slug each other in the face. Whereas women perform psychological warfare a lot of times. Yeah, I was going to use those exact words, psychological yeah. warfare. Yeah. It's something that it seems to be very detrimental to the health of women and also to the things that women are trying to do in society to, to improve things for themselves. Yeah. There's no place for us to be against each other, women and women men and men, women and men, um, for those of us who, again, feel called like it is our purpose to share about eating whole real food for nutrition and about changing the way that we treat our illnesses and we're called to share our story, we need to just let each other share our story. One of the things I like to say is your belief in something doesn't invalidate my actual experience because people throw things out there all the time like you can only do this if you do this or you can't lose weight if you eat fat and there's things like that all the time I'm like I, I realize that you believe that but it doesn't invalidate my experience you tell your story I'll tell mine and then let people people try things and find their own formulas right for them I don't care as long as they're eating real food and not garbage you know I don't care what formula works for you I just want you to be healthy if you tend to towards mental health issues, then higher fat might be for you. And someone who's saying don't eat it, that can be really discouraging because you may, lo you may lose weight faster, you may not. But for me, for people like us, we need it. It is a key component. And I lost my 146 pounds with it, with high fat. And also you can see all the other things that, that changed in my body. So I think we damage each other sometimes by arguing about it. We just need to let each person tell their story without comment, except for, hey, I'm so glad you're here in this space and congratulations on all your healing. That's, what, that's how yeah. we need to be with each other and let people do it their own way.
we tend to want our opinions to supersede facts quite a bit, especially in modern day. And we will ignore results that a person has or dismiss the results a person has and still say something's dangerous or it's not right simply because right. it doesn't fit in with our personal beliefs. And just to let everybody know, if they see me moving around here, P has decided to make her regular appearance onto the show, you know, because it must be a cat video. So she's, she's again, clawing my leg and, and stuff, wanting attention every, every podcast episode she comes up and does this at some point during the show so that's what's going on and to keep her little murder mittens from going into my knees i'm petting her up so <laughs> murder uh, it seems to me you know for a woman there's enough challenges in, in the world to being a mother there's plenty enough we don't need to add on to it with others instead you know it probably be a good idea for people to take notice on what's working practically with our neighbors and what's not working and what you know may may not work for you but learn from it you know we have a lot of motherhood books written by male doctors like Dr. Spock, you know, and some written by females who are telling us how to be, you know, telling a woman how to be a mother, how to be, uh, or parents, how to be parents. But we don't seem to have enough practical N equals one experience that's being passed along to others to really help techniques that are actually working in the field. Right. In the end, that's all that matters. You experiment and figure it out for yourself. And anybody out there that, you know, if you're following someone on social media and they're saying something that makes you question what you've actually experienced, unfollow. I mean, really, it happens all the time. People get confused and discouraged because people say different things. And I just think we need to understand everybody is way, way, way too different. The bio-individuality of us is so complex. No one should ever say this is the only right way. I mean, there's things not that aren't good for any of us. We can agree on that. And the rest, let's play around with it and figure it out for ourselves. And, and motherhood, parenthood is challenging enough as it is. And you find something like, let's say, diet that can actually make your life easier by improving the behavior of your children. Right. You know, if you find that if they eat certain foods, they lose control and become a maniac and you got more to deal with in your life because they had an entire sleeve of Oreos for lunch. And you see that they're now bouncing off the raw walls and causing, you know, borderline property destruction or something like that. That's providing more stress in your life for your own mental health. It might be a good idea to explore. And share it. I mean, yeah. share those things too. You know, there's always, there's always the possibility that your story is going to be rejected or not believed. I've had both things happen to me. There are people that are like, this is not you. That happens a lot when I do a before and after. They're like, that's impossible. That's not you. And you're fake. And I mean, lots of people are really mean online. But I think in this community, those of us, all the women, all the men who are trying to not only heal, but help heal others, we just need to have each other's back all the time. Bottom line, if you're not pushing the standard American diet, you're in my you're my good book, you know, like that's, I, I got your back and, and I hope you've got mine. I think it's just so important to live that way. It's so much more peaceful and it feels really good to affirm other people. I don't know about you. I don't know about other people, but my love language is words of affirmation. So having someone else in the community or having someone say, 
awesome or I'm proud of you or thank you for putting this out there. That's better to me than money. I mean, it's better to me than a gift, anything. It's just, it encourages me to do it again. And so then I try to do that to other people too. And it doesn't matter if we agree on things. It's just, thank you for having the courage to put it out there, you know? Yeah. And it's, it's something I think we could all take lessons from. It's something that I, I definitely need to work on myself. And uh, as far as, as using that as a form of, of love language, because I, I honestly, I struggle with that myself. Like, like affirmations and things like that. I, I really do. One of the things as a parent too, we have to, you know, if you're a parent and me for, I, I worked at group homes and I know what I did at group homes with the kids' diets and things like that and right. how it negatively affected these kids and their futures. We are in our current society training kids to eat an unhealthy lifestyle. And I don't care if you're keto, paleo, vegan, vegetarian, whatever. Look at the food that we have on a kid's menu. Look at the foods that are served at school. It's not food. (laughs) It isn't. And we are just because it gives us a momentary peace to give the kid a cookie and stop the screaming. We may not be doing the best service to that child in, in doing that because we're creating behaviors that lead up to the eating disorders and things like that that you When I um, talked to people about Clara and we put her on keto when she was nine and she is going to be 14 this summer, which is unbelievable. People would say, how could you do that? Like, you know, they're always worried about society and my child being different. Well, having epilepsy makes you different too. I always just say, I would rather hold her hand through this stuff now and not fitting in when it comes to food than hold her hand while she struggles with diabetes or heart disease or obesity even. It's hard to be obese in this world. It is. I've been there. It's hard. There's this feeling in your own body like you know, you don't belong or your comparison to other people, it's really tough. But I would rather hold her hand through the changes now and the challenges now than have to hold her hand through dealing with disease. It just makes sense to me. And of course, now that she is almost 14, you know, I don't, I'm not with her wherever she goes. Um, She does a lot of her own things, but you know what? She never cheats and she never, ever eats off plan because she knows what would happen if she did. She needs high fat and she needs to not consume things that cause inflammation in her brain. And I love that because it says to me, with the proper motivation, any one of us can always do it. If she can, because she knows she does not want to have seizures. If I can, because I know that I would relapse into mass craziness and eating disorder, then anybody can. You have to see it in a way that this is something that's absolutely sustainable. Just like if you found out you couldn't have nuts or or you'd have a terrible reaction, it's the same thing. You wouldn't then go eat nuts just because your friends were eating nuts. She has a terrible reaction. I think that's the best way to explain it. I don't eat sugar when everybody else is because I have a terrible reaction to sugar. I lose my mind, literally. And I think if we treat what's going on with us, our mental health that way and our physical health that way, we don't compromise because of situations we're in or what other people think of us. One thing that can drastically affect the health of a mother and the health of a woman who is a mother is the health of the child. Right. Because if you're stressed over your child being sick, what is that going to do to you physiologically? Well, yeah, I mean, that definitely played a role. Um, I've been on podcasts where I talk about mostly about Clara and epilepsy, but 
her epilepsy, her seizures, she almost died once. That definitely affected me. I was already mentally ill, but in terms of anxiety, just always wondering, like, is something happening? And you don't sleep. (laughs) You know, it's, you don't, you're so afraid you're going to miss something. You're not going to be able to call 911 fast enough. And that definitely played a part in my deterioration is her sickness. So her being well, too, has played a part in my healing as well, you know? The health of your family plays a huge role in your personal health. We see that just in the fact that if you look at family members, often if one of them's obese, most of them will be it because they're all playing. If if one is unhealthy and sick, many of the others, if they're if they're caregivers, if they're what whatever in the relationship with the family, they they're all prone to usually having health issues. I think the stress is a form of disease transmission. Mm -hmm. If you create stress, and you're going to create disease conditions in other people around you. And if you create conditions in your child that create stress back into you, you're creating a disease condition. It's almost like a pathogen, you know? It is. Yeah. So we're going to get, yeah, go ahead. I'm sorry. I was going to say, we're going to get ready to close out because um, I have to actually run and, and uh, do the bathroom. I drank a lot of coffee today. I do want to uh, leave people with some parting words. And because we're going to air this in or around May, because I'm not now this is going to probably end up being multiple episodes, so I'm not sure where the last part of it's going to land. Right. Normally, I ask the five questions. But instead, I want to have you leave some words of encouragement to women and words of encouragement to people uh, who are dealing with mental health issues. Okay, to everyone, I would say that no matter how crazy you feel, I know where you are. I have been there. And in that moment, you think nobody in the world could be as bad as you are and come back from it. And I just want to let you know, you can. And I found health and hope in the unlikeliest of places in nutrition. I didn't expect it. But now that it happened, I really want you to know you can get better too. Um, I think it's so important to have hope. Just know if there's someone who's done it, you can too. I thought I was beyond hopeless and that was a lie. I believed it for a long time, but it was still a lie. And we all have a purpose that we are created for. When you can get out of your own way and you can stop being distracted by all this mess, it's still there waiting for you, no matter how long it has taken to get there. For women, take care of each other. Do not ignore your health. Don't wait until later when you notice a symptom. Don't put off a physical checkup because of your weight or because of your mental your mental health and not wanting to talk about that. Um, things in your body can become so serious when you put them off and we just can't wait. I did that for way too long and I had situations that got way worse. And I just want to encourage you to get help. Um, and if you need help, uh, mental health, there are some great folks out there. If you don't like, you go to a psychologist and you don't like them, pick another one. It took me a lot until I found the right one for me. Um, But don't give up. It is worth it. You have worth and your life has meaning. You are not just existing. And um, I just want you to feel like I do. And that is every day. I can't wait to see what happens next. And um, that's a life filled with hope. And I want it for you too. All right, everybody, I'm going to be closing out. I want to thank Jessica for being on the show. And I also want everybody to be able to find 
Jessica. And if you want to participate in her health coaching or if you want to be part of her groups or anything, Jessica, please tell us all the contact deets and leave that for the audience. Sure. Um, you can find um, information on nutrition coaching at ketogenicsuccess.com. You can just click the tab that says coaching and that will bring you to the coaching website. If you want to look me up or if you want to talk about life coaching or overcoming um, some um, damaging behaviors that you want to work through or unique guidance with um, I've even helped some people get started getting debt free and things like that. Anything that I have experience with is something that I like to help other people through. If you want coaching that way, just look for me on Instagram or Facebook or email me at um, coachjessica at gmail.com. And I'm going to close out with uh, everyone. If you want to support, again, you can go to Patreon, but there's also other ways you support. One thing that you can do is you can go to carriebrown.com and she's got some awesome keto cookbooks that are up there, including the 101 keto beverages on there where you can actually, uh, a lot of people, one of the things that they struggle on when they're trying to change their health is their sweet drinks and their, their fancy foo-foo coffees and things like that. So she has some excellent recipes on there, including a recipe for a cherry cola on there that is that is keto she also has a special where you can get all five cookbooks for the price of three and it's 40 percent off for a digital special and also she's running the ice cream master class and we have summer coming up it's going to be hot weather everybody likes ice cream so you can learn how to make keto versions of rocky road moose track one that tastes like cherry garcia called double cherry chocolate chunk and a bunch of other ice cream recipes that uh you can actually get uh guided through step-by-step video help on actually creating these ice creams for yourself. And then after that, if you want to, you can be part of the Ice Cream of the Month Club and get new recipes each month. All right, everybody, I am going to close out. I want to wish everybody well. And as always, be kind to one another. We have enough issues in society. And we don't need to act like jerks. So we will spread good things around if we're kind to one. All right, bye, everybody. Bye. Thank you for joining us on the Fatty Joe Show. Be sure to leave a comment and subscribe. It helps the show reach more people. To support the show, as well as Carrie Brown and Yogi's work on the blog, Keto Recipe Development, Masterclasses, and to gain access to private Facebook groups and other awards, go to patreon.com slash Show or patreon.com slash Brown. Also, check out our Carrie Brown and Yogi Parker YouTube channel for video versions of the Fatty Joe Show, recipe videos, and more. Join our awesome community on the Facebook group, The Keto Kitchen with Carrie Brown and Yogi Parker. And check out our CarrieBrown.com website for recipes, blog posts, discounts, cookbooks, masterclasses, and other great stuff. Thank you so much.